All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So just real quick about Grow Night. What is it? Who should be involved in it? Uh, why is, should it be an important part of the mission and vision here at Life Church? And so we've said from the beginning, here's what we know, that it's great to gather and it's great to sit in rows and it's great to have um, fellowship together, but we know life change happens in circles, right? So we know that being in community uh, in multiple different ways gives us the opportunity to do things that you just can't get done on a Sunday morning. So it's a value here at Life Church for us to figure out or to give opportunities for people to be in community. So some of you guys are already in it. You're in small groups or you're already working out in classes, but for those of you who are not, it gives you a chance to Get into community, meet some people, and allow God to do things through relationships, because that's how we think life's change. So last week, we talked about two of the classes, so one being the marriage adventure, which Jennifer and Eric Eller are going to lead. Um, and so if you want to be a part of the marriage adventure, if you want to know more about it, Taylor will be out there. He can tell you about the marriage adventure. I'm going to be doing Starting Point, uh, 10 Foundational Truths of Christianity, and the opportunity for you to ask any question that you've ever had about faith, right? So that's Starting Point. Adulting 101 and champs, so this is an opportunity if you're uh, at this place where like I, I want to be involved in community, I don't know about the whole like Bible study idea or getting together uh, to do those things, is that you can get together and work out because we've always said this, you know, we created champs with the idea of not just having a facility that people come in and out, but an opportunity to build relationships with people that it was more than just fitness, but it was mind, body, and soul. Uh, and so this gives you an opportunity. If you've never tried Champs before, you can come on Wednesday nights, be a part of the classes. And then as Rayanne said, as, as you go through that, you're going to get to know the people in classes. And we've heard stories of people that came to this a long time ago when we did it. And their life has changed through different ways, through health, because they're healthier than what they were before, because now they're working out on a regular basis, and then also from the standpoint of they have relationships with people that they didn't have before. So that opportunity uh, with that also. So Adulting 101, again, as Travis shared, great opportunity for people to get together and learn together. If you've never used, sometimes I forget that I haven't always taught my kids how to use power tools until they try to use them, and then I want to grab them out of their hand. I mean, I don't know if any other guys have ever experienced that, but you're like, I thought I taught my kids how to do all these things, or I thought maybe, or maybe you're a wife who thought your husband was handy until you married him, right? <laughs> and so it's an opportunity for you to say, hey, honey, you know, maybe this is a chance for you to go and learn some of those things. But honestly, it's a great time to get together, a great time to build relationship and fellowship together. So we'd love for you to get involved, be in community. We're going to bring you multiple opportunities to do that because we're just saying long term for you if you're here long term you'll be in some sort of community right that's just what happens with people you know they find community to get in we're just trying to provide those opportunities so grow night you can sign up for it uh out in the welcome center you know or there's an app that you can go or not a app our app that you can go on and sign up there's a qr code i explained all that technical stuff last week they'll help you figure out that part of it if you have questions about it ask someone on staff or talk to taylor about it when you get out okay grow night so you'll hear it one more week next week and then we'll be starting it up uh, at the end of January. All right, the other thing is, before we get into the message today, so we want to keep you updated on our finances, so we want to show you how we ended the year, so the monthly budget for what we had for last year, 45000 December's giving to the general fund, 98000 
So over budget for the month and then over budget for the year. Um, and new givers, December giving to the building fund. So again, you know, I'll clap if you don't want to clap because I think it's pretty amazing that... Um, and, and the reason being this is that one of the things I love about Life Church is that they've captured the vision of what we're trying to get done, right? So being able to use this building, being able to keep it open seven days a week, giving us the opportunity to do ministry outside of what happens on a Sunday morning, right? So the giving that happens here at Life Church gives us ability to expand the ministry in ways that or what we would consider outside of the box, not only doing what we're doing, but do ministry outside of the box. So we're thankful for everybody that's generously given. We're thankful, you know, if you weren't here before, we put together a building fund on faith saying, hey, we're not going to take out a loan, but we need a whole new roof and air conditioners and a lot of these things. And, and again, for us, it was a huge step because those types of funds could never get raised. And last year, they got raised in one year, you know. And so it was people generously seeing, this is the vision. I want to be a part of it, and I want to support it. And we just think that God's going to continue to do amazing things with us. So thank you for your generosity. Thanks for your support. Thanks for trusting us with uh, carrying out God's mission and vision. Uh, here at Life and in the community. All right, so we uh, have another part to, I mean, it's not really a series, but last week we had our business meeting, and the business meeting was this idea of uh, what I had been processing, which is at the end of my life, I want to be found faithful. Right? Like, I, I mean, I don't know how to, I mean, if I could just kind of sum it up, when I get done, and I don't know when that is, and I'm reminded every week that, you know, life is fragile and you don't really know. Right? So when it is at the end, I want to make sure that I've spent my time well. I want to know that when I stand in front of Jesus Christ someday that I can be found faithful. And I want to be a part of a church and I want to lead a church that the church makes decisions based upon faith so we too can be find, found faithful. Because here's what we know about faith, and this is what we talked about last week. When you live by faith, God's involved. So all of the, like, how are things going to turn out, you know, when people ask you, how is the church doing, or how are you doing, you know, in all of those realms. The only thing that we can count on isn't really earthly results, right? Because if people ask you how you're doing, I mean, what do you want to say? I mean, we've all had our struggles, right? I mean, if you want to go through the list, right? Like, we can just go through the list. How are you doing? I mean, we could give the, the surfacey answer as well. You know, everything's going okay. The kids aren't in jail, you know, that, you know, we're going down the road and, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, we can give all of those answers, but really what matters to a Christian person when it comes to how are you doing is whether God is with you, right? Or you're where he is, right? That's where we would measure success. Is my, have I positioned myself at a place to be where God is? That's faith, right? Being where he is. And so when people ask the question all the time, how is the church doing? I mean, how do you really measure the church? Because we've always said, like, Listen, if we measured it by numbers, we would have quit a long time ago, right? For anybody who's here a long time ago, which is maybe nobody. Because <laughs> if you think back to a long time ago, there is a small group of people, right? So if you look back and we measured success based upon numbers, or we measured success based upon money or how the church is doing, you know, we would have quit a long time ago. But if we measure success by are we being faithful and doing what God's called us to do and the results are his and not ours? That's how we're doing, right? And that's how we're always going to be, right? We want to be a church that is where God is 
the results of what happens in the lives of people that are coming here and the results of what happens in the lives of people that we're affecting are not ours. So we don't think about it nor take credit for it. God changes the lives of people, right? God changes the lives of people. Life Church is a vehicle to be able to position you and people in this community at a place where God can work in your life. So if we're being successful, then we are, as a church and as people, living by faith. Now, here's the problem with that. Living by faith is an unnatural life, right? No one naturally wakes up and says, I want to position my life today to be completely out of control, right? I mean, nobody's waking up saying, you know what, I kind of have a plan, but you know what the best thing that happened today, God, is you could disrupt my plan and get in the middle of my life and ask me to do things that are just going to challenge me beyond who I am. Like, God, I'm so ready for that. Like, that's not naturally how people approach the day, right? It's honestly not how people naturally approach their life. They naturally approach their life with a very systematic approach. I'm going to set my life up, I'm going to set my marriage up, I'm going to set my kids up, I'm going to set my finances up to be comfortable and in control, right? So the natural part of life is comfort, or the natural part of life, the way that we're wired by the world to live, and even what the world celebrates, because you know the world celebrates that kind of a life, right? In fact, they would think you have it together if you got it all planned out. They think you would have it together if you have all of these things that you've controlled and you've taken care of and you've worked hard for and you've put, they'd be like, let's celebrate that person. They did all the hard work and they're successful because the world celebrates that. But God asks us to celebrate him by living where he is. And let's just be truthful If you were looking at the stories of faith inside of Scripture, the world did not look at those people as successful. You know why? They usually didn't have a lot of money because they gave it all away. They usually didn't have a stable job that they worked at for 30 years because they did whatever God wanted them to do, so they changed all the time, right? And they all got killed for what they believed, I don't think anybody in the world's like, wow, if I was going to pick somebody to model my life after, that's somebody. You know what I mean? Because you do that sometimes, don't you? Like you want to read a book about a person that you want to be, or you want to read a story about a person that you want to be, and so you look at their success based upon what the world says, and you read about them, and you look at them. If we're saying, hey, we want you to be like Jesus, and what's written down and what you can see is stories about people who are trying to be like Jesus, and this is how their life turned out. I don't know how many people are like, wow, that's something to aspire for. But being faithful or living by faith is what he calls each one of us to do. And because it's unnatural, you also have to start living unnaturally, right? So how do you do that? So how do you position yourself as a church and how do you position yourself in life to be able to live an unnatural life? That people are going to look at you and say, wow, I mean... I get what you're doing once you're in the circle. Because once you're in the circle and you read the Bible and you look at somebody and they're living that life, you're like, wow, that, you know, that's that. I get it. I get what you're doing. I get what you're living by faith and look at the results. But from the outside world, it won't look right. So what we're going to focus on today is, so how do I live in a natural life? And how can I position myself in a way 
that will allow me to not, again, it's hard for me to put this together because when something is unnatural, the only way to flip it is a process. Like you're not going to walk out of here today being like, oh, I'm going to be living just like Paul or just like Peter. I'm going to walk out. I mean, you don't do that. So there are processes or disciplines that you put together. But I can tell you this. Here's the bottom line. If you ever want to live an unnatural life, then you better have values that match it. Because here's what we know, I think. But if you don't know, then here's what I'll tell you. Whether you like this or not, if I looked at your life and saw how you spent your time, money, resources, thinking time, here's what I know. I would be able to tell what you value. Right? You wouldn't even have to talk to me, necessarily. But if I watched you from a distance and I saw how you did all of those things, what you talked about, what you read, how you spent your time, looked at your screen time on your phone, like if I looked at all of those things, I would know what you value. Why? Because people do what they value above everything else. Would you agree with that? I mean, you just, I mean, you might not think that, but I would just challenge you to say, when push comes to shove on you making a decision in your life, you'll make a decision based upon what you value, sometimes over what you should be doing, right? And so for all of us, how do we change our value system? So got a couple scriptures that I want you to look at today. So Luke 12 is going to be the first one. And I want to look at this one because we're going to be looking at 1 Peter here in a little bit. And part of like putting scripture together to be able to understand how it works is like, here is some of the value system shifts that happened in the lives of the disciples that are now writing books of the Bible. Right? You know what I mean? Like, here's what Jesus did with them. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, um, he helped reestablish a value system in the lives of the people that he was leading. Because he knew if he could reestablish a value system that when he was gone, the decisions that they would make would be based upon the things that Jesus valued, right? Because they're not going to have him there to say, do this, do this, do that, right? So he had to reestablish it. So we're going to get into First Peter, which is how do we change our value system? But I think the foundation is, happens in Luke 12. So Luke 12, Jesus talking to his disciples about this idea of preparation, Right? Like, how do you prepare? How do you get ready? You know, what should we be looking for? What's going to be important to us? What's going to be coming that maybe they have not seen yet? So here's what he says to them in Luke 12. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes back and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night towards in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. So here's what he's saying. It's gonna be good. So he's painting this picture of if you were if you were on this ranch or you were on this farm or you're on this place, there was a master who told you what to do every day, right? So a master who would say, do these things, do these, your boss, right, for lack of a better term. There's a boss who's telling you what to do. Now the boss is leaving, okay? He says, the boss is going to come back. Here's what you need to think about. You better be ready, right? So you better be ready from, for when he comes back. So here's one of the things that, that I want to put out there, and I want to put it in terminology that I think all of us could understand, 
So one of the things that we do, whether it's inside a business or whether it's raising our kids or people that we're involved in, part of telling people what to do is to help them establish a value system that you have. Does that make sense? If you're a boss, right? So if you're a boss, you give people lists of things to do because if they carry out those lists, they're essentially doing what you value, right? So when you're training people, you give them these things like, this is what's important to me, this is what's important to me, this is what's important for me. Because if you're a good leader, here's what you know, right? Someday you're not going to be there. That's what every great leader knows, right? Every great leader knows the best thing that could happen is is that you create a a culture at your workplace or a culture at your home, because we know this about kids too. Um, if you've raised any, if you haven't, let me give you a picture into the future. You can tell your kids what to do all that you want, and they might obey you out of fear, but when you're gone, if you haven't changed their value system, they'll do what they want. Anybody trace some kids? <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, you can tell them all you want. You can set all of the rules that you want, but if you haven't established, so just a parenting tip, if you haven't established the why behind the rules, Most of the time, those people, when you're away, will do whatever they value over what you value or what you tell them what to do. So when you're gone, so the idea of all of it is when we're raising kids or when we're starting businesses or we're creating culture inside of a company is part of these lists and explaining these lists or explaining these things is to explain that this is the value system that we have. So this is our hope, right? This is our hope as fathers, as mothers, as team leaders, as business owners, so that the people who work for you, the people who are under you, your children will take on your value system, right? Like that's the idea. Because if, you, if they do, you could go away and come back and be ensured that it'll come back the way that you wanted it, right? They'll turn out the way that you wanted it. So he's setting this system up that would say, I'm leaving And I'm coming back, and we all know that it's being ready means this, doing what the master values. Because he didn't give them a list, right? We don't see the list on there, do we? There is no list that said, if you do all these things, this is what you need to get ready. He's created a culture inside of his people that would say, if you do these things, you know what I would want. So when it came to making a decision, you don't have to call the master. Because the master's unreachable right now. There weren't cell phones to get a hold of him. You know, one of the worst inventions of the cell phone was is that nobody will think for themselves anymore because they have, you make yourself accessible to everybody. Everybody calls you instead of saying, you need to figure it out on your own. You know what I would do, right? You know what I would do, right? So you don't need to call me. Do what you think I would do, right? Because we've created that culture. He's saying the master has presented a plan just like he has for us. So let's, let's put it in the perspective of Jesus working with his people, Jesus, in us reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, helped us establish a value system, right? And then he ends it with, which is so cool, if you want me to sum up the value system, I'll give it to you in the Great Commission. You know what the Great Commission is? It says, you know what? If you do what I valued, you will reach people, you will teach people, and you will send them back out to reach more people. Now, I'm not going to give you a list on how you get that done, Right, Because everybody can come up with their own list on how to get it done. But just so you know, the value system of Jesus for every Christian person is the same. Reach them, 
teach them and send them out. So if he comes back and he says, find yourself ready, what are we going to be doing? Or what are those people going to be doing? They're going to be reaching, teaching, and sending. And when the master comes back, he's going to recline at the table who's been taking care with people who've been taking care of his business. Does that make sense to lay that foundation, kind of? Okay, if it doesn't, well, just forget it. <laughs> All right, so value system. Then he goes on to say, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Because here's the thing that we know is the disruption of what the owner put in place, there's always going to be a thief that wants to destroy the system. Right? There's always going to be the disruption of culture inside of your business. There's always going to be something coming in from the side to say you can establish what you want, but somebody's going to come and try to knock it out, right? If you approach it with a value system that Jesus Christ wants, and just so you know, Satan wants to destroy the value system inside of your family. So he doesn't want you to spend any time with your kids. He doesn't want you to disciple your kids. He doesn't want you to teach values. He doesn't want you to do the hard work, Right? So that's what he's going to come in. That's what he's going to try to destroy. That's what he's going to try to do in the midst of that. And he's just saying if that person would have been aware of that, he would have been ready. But you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when they do not expect him. Peter, who we're going to read about here in a second, asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants and to give their food allowance at proper time? It'll be good for the servant whom the master finds going, uh, who the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will be put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, "My master is taking a long time in coming," and and then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, in an hour when he is not aware. Of, and he will cut him into pieces and sign him in a place with the unbelievers. That's harsh. But you see what he's saying, though, right? Like, there are going to be people who are going to value the things that Jesus values, and then there are going to be the people that said, well, okay, and to your face, I'm going to say that you're my master, but the way that I live my life, I'm my own master, right? I'm going to do my own thing. So I'm going to eat, drink, be merry, treat people like crap because relationships don't matter because the only thing in the world that matters is me. Right? Because that's why people treat people in a bad way, or that's why we come into these situations and you eat, drink, marry, and don't think about eternity, because all you're thinking about is yourself. People who have the master's perspective of things value something above themselves. Right? So he's saying that there's going to be those people, and then he goes on in verse 47 and says, the servant who knows the master's will, this is really important, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the, master's, what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. You hear what he's saying, right? Like I gave you a value system, and if you want me to sum up, sum up the value system, this is what he said. The value system is, is that your life and your value system and the actions of your life need to be molded around what Jesus valued, reaching people, teaching people, and sending them back out. If you're not doing that, you know why he gives this perspective of being beaten with many blows? Because he's going to give another perspective of people that were beaten with few blows because they didn't really know. But you're sitting in this room, and this is what he's trying to say to you. You're sitting in this room. There is no question what the master values. Are we all on that same page? 
You know it, right? Like you can't walk out of here with the ignorance of saying, well, I don't know how to measure my life and I don't really know if I'm making a difference. No, you know you're making a difference when you're reaching people, teaching people, and sending people, right? The measurement is clear if you are doing the will of the Father. I just thought I might pause a second because this is really, I mean, this is weighty, right? Because he's, he's a fact saying If you're not doing the will of the Father, essentially, you're not mine. So if you're going to take an opportunity to evaluate your life and you get to this place and in your life evaluation, you're not reaching people, teaching people, and sending people, he's essentially saying then you're in this other camp that he is not your master because if he was your master, you would do what he values. And then he just goes on and just says, so those people who know, which is going to be the people that sat in church, wrote down notes, said a lot of amens, raised their hands, and didn't change their life. Those people in eternity will be beaten in hell with many blows because they knew the difference and didn't do anything about it. Aren't you glad you came to life today? (laughs) I mean, I don't want to, again, I don't want to sugarcoat it because that's what it says. There is no sugarcoating what this says. If you know and you choose to do nothing about it, right? Because we're not perfect because anybody said, well, I don't know. I'm going to walk out of here. And he said, I'm going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. We all deserve it. Jesus gave us the gift of eternity through salvation. The point just is through that gift, we accept that gift and he's our master. And so we're going to do our will. Are we going to sin for the rest of our lives? Are we going to make mistakes for the rest of our lives? Yes, but if you look at the majority of your life, or you look at how you're doing most of your life, it's going to be set around a value system of a master who tells you this is what you should be doing. If you're not, he's just saying, you have some time because you're still alive today. I don't know if you're going to be alive in a minute from now, and I don't know if you're going to be alive at the end of this day, but for right now, he's saying, if you know it, you better do something about it. Change that value system that goes with it. Just for everybody, and so verse 48 says, but one who does not know and does the things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. And here's the deal. He says, for everyone who was given much will be demanded. Uh, For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. What has been entrusted to you? The eternity of mankind. And your plan A. And there is no plan B. Have you been entrusted with much? Yes. There's no scapegoat. You don't get the like, well, it's somebody else's job. I'm too busy. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, whose responsibility is it to reach the world? Yours. I don't care how busy you are. We're all busy. I don't care what your education level is. We all have a different one, right? Like there isn't an excuse. You as a Christian have been entrusted with something pretty big. And he's just flat out saying, for much that is entrusted, much is expected. Like that excites me because again, I'm excited for the fact that he's entrusted us with much. We don't know how it's all going to turn out. We don't know who is or isn't going to give their life to Jesus Christ. We don't know who is or isn't going to change their lives. We don't know which hearts are going to be changed. But you know what's so cool? I get to be a part of it. 
I get to be a part of it. If I'm the one planting the seed, if I'm the one watering the seed, if I'm the one harvesting seed, I don't really care. I'm just glad I get to be a part of his work. I'm just glad to be, a, be where he is. Like that's the most exciting part about all of this is I get to be a part of his plan. And I don't know if you're in the same boat as I am. Can you believe that he entrusts that with me? I mean, come on. If you knew me, you'd be clapping. I mean, because... <laughs> I mean, it is an unbelievable thought that he entrusted that eternity of mankind with us. How cool is that? How much does he think of you when it comes to that? If he's saying, you know what, the plan for somebody's life to be completely changed forever, you get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of the story. You get to be a part of their life. And you get to be a part of their eternity. Wow. I mean, I just think that's awesome. So with that value system, how do we practically do some of those things? That's what Peter was trying to do in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. Okay, so 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. He was saying to the people, because remember, now all of these disciples are out trying to preach the gospel, and as they're preaching the gospel, they're all getting killed. Lots of persecution. Nero's crazy, and Nero being crazy, he thinks the answer to all of the problems of Rome is kill all the Christians. Right, So now, Peter's saying, because I, I mean, think about this. You're living, in a va- you're living in a world right now where the, if you live with a different value system, it's going to be looked at and be like, oh, wow, that's kind of weird. Right? Like, you're kind of different, but whatever. If you lived with a different value system back then, you're getting your head lopped off. Right? Like, you're getting put on a cross, tar poured over your body, and burnt alive so you could uh, light up the Roman Forum. Like, that's what's happening to you if you live with a different value system. So Peter's saying, I better prepare the people for when persecution comes that your value system will override your need for comfort because it's coming. Do you see where he's going? Because there's going to be a place where they're going to have to make a decision. Comfort, escape persecution, live for Jesus, right? That's coming. The same thing is coming for you, and I've told you this. It's just in different realms. And honestly, you know, right now, part of the problem is it's happening so subtly that you're just letting it happen and let it go by. Persecution has come, and you've just given into it, or we've just given into it, because we just keep letting it come in because it's not your head getting lopped off. Right? And so we don't naturally push back with the value system that's Jesus is because it just gradually is taking over and trying to remake your value system little pieces at a time instead of ripping your whole value system and say, make a choice, head get lopped off or live for Jesus. It's like a little of the world and a little Jesus and mix them together and it's what everybody accepts and you don't really have to make the choice and then the next thing you find is you're just like the world, you know, and nobody really knows those things. So here's what he says in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. So here's what he says. If you're going to start down the road and you want to live differently and you want to have a different value system, then you better start thinking differently. Okay, so you can't think like the world because the world's trying to train you what, what to think about and the world's trying to train you on what you should value. He's saying if you're going to change your value system, then you should probably change the way you think. So it starts with walking out of here, first of all, being honest with what are you thinking about? On a daily basis, what comes to your mind? 
Because here's the thing that I would, I challenge myself with this, and I challenge myself with this at the end of every day. That's why I take notes or write a journal at the end of every day of what I did. Because what I did essentially happened about what I was thinking about, which caused me to make decisions that set up my entire day. Is that true? Not true? I'm just saying it's true for me, right? Like what I thought about drove the decisions of my day. So when I get to the end of my day and I evaluate how I did, I'm sitting there like, wow, I sure was thinking about the wrong thing. Anybody else ever been there? Like you get to the end of the day and you're like, oops, (laughs) those things, I should have changed my thinking because some of the decisions I made today were for sure not the value systems of Jesus. I'm just being honest with you. That's what happens. But I at least evaluate them to say, well, here's what I'm thinking, right? So here's what I'm doing. So I evaluate my thoughts at the end of each day or the end of each week. You can do it wherever you want because what you think about is what you value. And then what you value is the decisions you make for your life. So we should change the way we're thinking. That's what Peter's saying, okay? So then he says, how or how could we get to that place? He goes on and says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed in his coming. So he says, the first thing that has to change in your thinking is you need to start thinking eternally. This isn't your home. Nothing that you're doing to build up here on this earth at the end of the day, if it's just for you, really matters, right? Your house, again, the idea of purchasing a house or living in a house, all based around this. You're given that house so that you can make a difference in eternity, The vehicle that you purchase, difference for eternity. The people that you're having meetings with this week, difference in eternity. The people that you're serving this week or working with this week, difference in eternity. Kids, the people you're in relationships with at your high school, right? Not because you just like each other. You know why you're in relationships with people? Eternity. You know why you make the decisions that you make? Eternity. Not comfort. Because I just know this is the way that it works. This is why churches become country clubs. You know why churches become country clubs? So you don't think about eternity, think about comfort. Because if you thought about eternity, the church would be full of people being invited that don't know Jesus. You know why they're not? Because you know what church people are thinking about? Other church people. And I know some of these things are hard to, to look at, but it's really true. Because... If churches were thinking about, and this is why I have such a hard time with church sometimes, you know, and why I love life church, you know, because I've always said, if I get fired here, I'm still coming because I like it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I love the mission and vision of life church because at the end of the day, when we look at things, we're not trying to figure out how to make you comfortable. We're trying to equip you to reach your friends. That's the only thing we think about. I want to provide an environment for you to invite your friends because I'm expecting you to be in relationship with unchurched people that you get the opportunity to invite someday. Because that's faith. That's swimming up against something that's not normal, right? And you know why we do that? Because we think of eternity before anything else. And I know for some church people, that's a hard concept. You're like, well, you think about lost people. What about us saved people? I love you. But listen, if you're not reaching lost people, why would I spend all of this time building you up just so you can know more that you're not going to do? It's not that I'm not thinking about you. It's not that we're not thinking about you. It's just, you know why we're learning? You know why we care about 
raising up unsaved or raising up saved people is so they can go reach more people. Because at the end for all of us, because here's what I have to do, and here's what you have to do, and we're going to talk about it in a second. I have to stand in front of Jesus Christ someday and give an account for my life. And what's going to matter in the end is people. What's going to matter in the end is souls that were saved and people's lives that were changed. That's what's going to matter. And I don't want to say this in a bad way. Not whether you were happy or comfortable. And I know that's rough. And I know you want to come to a church where it's like, maybe one of us made you so happy and comfortable. Like, I want to make you happy and comfortable in this way. Because you're living on purpose for Jesus Christ. And I want you to come and be like, I'm so filled, not because this is for me, because it's for somebody else. I'm so filled because I read somebody else's story about life change. I'm so filled because I see people getting baptized. I'm so filled because I look around and I saw friends inviting people and connecting with other people. I'm so filled because these groups, these community groups aren't just to get together, but it's build relationships so we can equip other people to go out and reach more people. Anybody with me? Anybody else excited? <laughs> right? When you think about eternity, like that changes everything. And so your mindset has to shift in everything that you do and every decision that you make. How does it affect eternity? And that will then move into the value system he has. Then he goes on in verse 14 and says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you uh, is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And because we're getting close on time, i got to go through this pretty quick. What does it mean to be an obedient child? Because I think sometimes we think it's just following the rules. Being an obedient child means you live out the value system of your father. Because sometimes I think, am I good? Are we good or not good? That's how sometimes people look at other people. Are they good or not good? And it's based upon behavior modification. And I've always said, like, I'd rather have somebody that's struggling with their behavior and reaching people for Jesus than somebody has great behavior and is just sitting in a pew doing nothing. Because just so we know, in the minds of Christ, we've already looked at this, is that our righteousness or being right or being good is done by Jesus, not by your behavior anyway. Right? So I would much rather look at somebody and say, an obedient child, being an obedient child, value system means we're going to live out the values, the things that our father gave us. Right? That's how obedient children do it. And then he says, don't live with your evil desires. You know what your evil desires are? Your selfishness. That's what gets in the way. What gets in the way of living the value system of our father is our selfishness. This for me, this for me, how does this decision affect me instead of how does every decision affect other people? Does that make sense? So that's what he's saying. Evil desires in your ignorance. Your ignorance was the world told you life was all about you. And then you met Jesus. And then Jesus said, nope, life's not about you. It's about other people. Right? And so let's live with its life that's about other people. And then he says, be holy because we should strive with it in that order. Obedient to the value system of the Father. So we're going to be out reaching people. Getting away from our evil desires. Strip yourself of selfishness. And then you know what? You should fix some of the behaviors of your life. But it needs to be in that order and not flipped. Does that make sense? Don't flip it around because you get so much time. If you try to fix your behavior, you'll be on that one all day long. Well, except for some of you good people. You know what I mean? But for us, we got a while. Yeah, both of us, right? Yeah, we got a ways to go, man. I'd be focusing on that all day. 
You know, if I'm focused on trying to fix all my behavior, I mean, that's all I'd ever get done, right? So I'm going to go with the other order. I'm getting to that, and I'm going to try to fix my behavior, but with God, with me where he's at, instead of in the other order, okay? So then he goes on, says, since, this is verse 17, since uh, you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So real quick, I'm going to go through this. So live with the value of judgments coming. So we've talked about this before. There's judgment to come, and there's judgment here on this earth, okay? So I'm going to teach you a little thing. So if you have your Bible open and or you're on your phone, I want you to write this in your footnotes or put it beside it or go back to it because there's this idea of there's a future judgment for Christian people. That's who he's talking to right now. And in this future judgment, it does matter what you're doing, right? That will be counted. It will be taken care of. So you can write down 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. You're not going to see it up there. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, and this is the way that it's good to study the Bible because it allows you to go back and show the support of what Peter was saying and support what I'm saying so you just don't trust me blindly of how I'm interpreting this scripture, okay? So it talks about future judgment, so I'm going to read it to you. You're not going to see it on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you real quick. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, by the grace God has given me, I laid foundations as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid with Jesus. We all know salvation comes from Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, so this is top, now this is the works of your life. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward, right? So that's this judgment. What are they doing? It's going to be evaluated, and it's going to be tested. If it survives, they're going to get a reward. But if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. Do you see what he's saying? Salvation in Jesus Christ, but how you live your life on this earth matters in the end, and you are going to be judged for it. And everybody wants to talk about well, what's reward like and how does that look in heaven. I, I, again, we can talk about that a thousand times, but just so you know, your life is being recorded, is being tracked, is being taken care of, and you're going to be judged for it after your salvation. Right? So it's going to be looked at. So he says that there's a judgment. So live as a value system that someday you're going to give an account for how you spend your time and live as if there's judgment on this earth. So this is the other one, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. So if you want to talk about judgment to come, but there's also this judgment that happens on earth, right? That I think we think we forget about sometimes of how he does this. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you completely forgotten this word? of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all, all moreover, uh, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while as they had uh, thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems unpleasant at the time, 
or no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the band's going to come back up, and here's how we're going to finish. See what he's saying? Value system, there's a judgment coming. Right? So the value system of judgment coming, know that your life's being recorded, and we've talked about this in our small group, call whatever you, the book you want to call it, but at the end of the day, there is a book recording your life that you're going to give an account for someday when you stand in front of Jesus, okay? There's also a father who wants you keep you on track. So while you're living on this earth and you start to wander away, start to get off the road like he has a road laid out, start getting off the path, just so you know he cares. And just so you know he cares enough to discipline you to get you back on it. And you might be saying there, God, why is this happening to me? And he's up there saying, because you needed it to get back on the road. Whatever this is happening in your life, you needed this in your life today to get you back to the place that you needed to get in your life. Because every father who loves his child knows that if he doesn't discipline him, the ultimate crash is coming. We all know that, right? So anybody that doesn't discipline their children... Anybody ever seen kids that grew up in a home that never got disciplined? Yeah. Because we know what happens. If you never discipline your children, they're going to end up making decisions that they're going to crash in. We as parents know that. So if you love your kids, you discipline them to keep them safe, to keep them on track, to keep them in the value, keep them, keep them in the lane, right? That's why we do the things that we do. So he says there's a value system that you should live with that would say that he loves you enough to live as if judgment not only happens at some point in our life, but it's happening right now. So let's value this holiness and let's live in a way that, that is holy. Let's live on a way that honors God. Let's live in a way that the value systems of the things that we do are going to change. So we're going to end with communion today. So it's great, great to be able to take communion together as a church. Um, and so I just want to give you some, a few instructions of why do we take communion and how is it going to work. So part of communion goes right along with what we're talking about today. Communion was given to the disciples and told for them to do it often because he says, you know why you, sh you should do this and you should do it often? You should think about the cost that was paid for your life. Like maybe you forgot about this. Maybe you forgot to the extent of what God did for you and the things that, that he gave for you. But communion is to remind you, you know, your life was bought at a great price and great suffering. And so when you evaluate your life and you look at that and we're thankful and we sit back and say thank you because communion is an opportunity not only to remember what Jesus Christ did for each one of us, but it's also to remember that there are people out there that have yet to experience the hope that comes through the, through the cross and through the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's not only for your own life, it's a reminder that so many people still need this. And so when we're taking communion together today, this is what I ask you to do, or this is what scripture asks you to do. Take an opportunity to evaluate your life. Where are you? Are you living as if your life was bought at a price? Are you living as if the cost was so great? Are you, is your value system based upon what he did for you or what you want for you, right? And so as you do this, take that opportunity and, and here's what we're doing. So in the front, we're gonna do it by intention. So intention meaning that you're going to have somebody holding the bread and somebody holding the cup. And so you can tear off a piece of bread and they'll share with you by the body of Christ broken for you. Dip it in the cup and you can go back to your seat or you can 
partake in it right then, but it's an opportunity for you to understand both the, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. If you're not comfortable with that, you know, in the back, we still have those cup things that you can get. So the cups with the wafer on the top. So you can go back, grab one of those cups in the back if you're not comfortable with this and take it back to your seat. Uh, but we'd love for you to participate in communion together. If you stand, I'll pray for you and then we'll move forward from there. Suddenly, Father, we're thankful for today and we're thankful that you give us an opportunity to um, relook at our value system. Thankful that we together today get to take communion and remembering that, that our life was bought, Lord, and at a great price, and we want to live a life worthy of that. So, Lord, I pray today that as we take communion together, that we t- will look and evaluate and honestly um, find us faithful in our lives, Lord. Help remake our value system. Lord, most of all, thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've shown each one of us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So you can partake at any time.
when you're ready. Just what the mercy of God can do. Now I like to tell the story how I've overcome. It's His goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done. I'm sorry. 
You know, every time I hear that song, I'm like, that's my theme song, right? Everything that I deserved, the cross, the grave, the punishment, then get because of his mercy. And if there is a driving thing to change our value system, that's it, right? We didn't get what we deserved. Because of that, I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving my father and what he values. And so I hope we as a church will be the same way. So thanks for joining us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online, and we'll see you guys next week.